How do you react when you see a need? Do you immediately volunteer to help address it? Or do you stand on the sidelines waiting to be asked? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why the church needs both kinds of helpers, provided they have the authentic heart of a servant. From 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal, here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message, Offering Yourself for Service. You know, there are two uh, moments of great joy in the heart of every believer. Obviously, the moment when they receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and secondly, the moment when they realize God has a plan to use them in his kingdom work. They find that plan for themselves and begin to serve. There is real joy in serving the Lord. I get up every day excited about what God has called me to do, and I've been doing that for a lot of years. I promise you that if you find the place where God wants you to be and the gift he's given you can be multiplied, you will never have a boring day in your life. You will always be excited to serve the Lord. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday in Nehemiah chapter 11. I hope you have your Bible close at hand. Maybe some of you also have the study guide. And uh, we'd like to remind you that if you didn't get the study guide for this series, you can still do that. If you want to know more about the study guide series, you can go to our website, davidjeremiah.org. There you will find out how to order the study guide for this particular series of studies. And you can also find out how to get the CD packages that um, capture the audio teaching from this series. All of this at the website. And then, of course, the resource for the month of January is O.S. Hawkins' book, The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray. When you send your gift to Turning Point during the month of January, ask for your copy of The Prayer Code, and we'll send it to you right away. Let's take our Bibles in hand and our pens and notebooks, and let's finish up this lesson on offering yourself for service. It's from Nehemiah chapter 11, and let's open our Bibles to that place right now. When you read the rest of the chapter, all you're going to see is a long list of names. But I want you to note that scattered throughout this chapter are some interesting thoughts about the work of God as we approach it even in our day. But what I have done is go through the chapter and recognize that in essence there were five different kinds of groups of people who were mentioned in this chapter. And I just want to point them out to you quickly. And I have chosen a word for each of the groups. I'll give you the groups, then we'll go back and get the words, all right? First of all, group number one are those who willingly moved back into the city. We've already talked about them. They're mentioned in the second verse of the 11th chapter. Group number two are those who did the work of the house. Notice verses 10 through 12. Of the priest, Jediah, the son of Jerob, Jachin, Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Meshullam, the son of Zadok, the son of Marioth, the son of Ahitub, was the ruler of the house of God. And their brethren that did the work of the house were 822. Those who did the work of the house, we are told, were counted. And there were 822 who diligently worked within the house within the city. They all had distinct jobs and they all had something to do and their number was given to us. The third group 
is mentioned in verses 15 and 16. And these are those who are in charge of the outside work of the house of God. Notice, also of the Levites, Shemaiah, the son of Hashab, the son of Azricam, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Bunai, and Sabethai and Josabad of the chief of the Levites, now watch this, had the oversight of the outward business of the house of God. Now, the best I can understand, the outward business of the house of God had to do with civil affairs, public service, counseling, and that sort of thing, because as you know, this was not a civil and a religious dichotomy, but this was a group of people who functioned under one head. It was all civil and all religious together all in one place. And so the temple had to deal not only with religious matters, but it also had to do with the civil matters as well. So there were a group of people who functioned outside of the house of God to deal with all the civil functions. And then the fourth group, verse 17 mentions, some people who had a very special significant thing to do. And Madaniah, the son of Micah, the son of Zabdi, the son of Asaph, was the principal to begin the thanksgiving in prayer. So there were certain people whose job it was to deal with the matter of gratitude and prayer, people who undergirded the work that was going on with an attitude of prayer. And then the fourth group is mentioned to us in verse 22. The overseer also of the Levites at Jerusalem was Uzzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, the son of Madaniah, the son of Mekah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers were over the business of the house of God. Now, five different kinds of things were going on. A diversity of people of all different backgrounds, of all different tribes and genealogies, of all different occupations, but basically there were five or six things that went on among these people that were the jobs which they performed. Now, let's go back and get the words, if we will. First of all, group one, those who willingly moved back into the city, I have written down the word next to them, the word occupation. They were simply to go back and occupy the territory. They were to take up their residence in the city. They were to occupy till I come. They were to be there as God's people in that place. Next to the group that did the work of the house, the 822, I have written down the word dedication. There were some who were known simply by their occupation. There were others who were known by their dedication. They were the ones who did the work. They were the ones who put their hands to the tasks that had to be done. Next to the third group, very interestingly, we read in verses 15 and 16 that there were some who had the oversight over those who did the outside work of the temple. Next to that group, I have written the word delegation. It doesn't say that they did the work. It said they had the oversight of the work. So here were some leaders to whom God had given the responsibility of overseers, and they delegated out the civil work that had to be done in order for the community to grow. And then next to those who were involved, group number four, in thanksgiving and in prayer, I have written down the word consecration. Here were some who were given to the consecration of God's people in prayer and thanksgiving. It was their duty to make sure that the spiritual temperature of all of the people was kept at a boiling point so that they would never lose sight of their spiritual objectives. And then finally, the fifth group, I have written next to them the word celebration. For we're told that the singers or the Levites 
were those who were put over the business of the house of God. The Levites' purpose in the Old Testament was to always be in charge of the worship and celebration of God's people. Interesting, as we go back through those five words to realize how contemporary they are for our needs today. Occupation, those who do what God has asked them to do, who are simply God's people, always available to God, willing to move in to the work of God and be there in God's behalf. Dedication, those who actually put their hands to the plow and get the work done. Delegation, those to whom God has given the wisdom and the direction to be good managers and leaders so that they can get many others involved in the work. Consecration, the Abrahams who will long tarry at prayer and intercession so that the work of God is not left to be done in fleshly manners. And finally, celebration, those who lead in the worship and the adoration of God. Go back through the list again. Where do you fit? Are you someone to whom God has given the task to occupy? By that I mean you are here, you have moved into the work of God, you're available, you have signed on, whatever God wants you to do, you're willing to do it. You are simply one who has willingly offered to be God's person, whatever that might be. Are you one to whom God has already spoken and he has given you a specific task and you have now put your shoulder to the wheel and you are dedicated to literally do the work? You are no longer waiting for God to speak. God has spoken. You've gotten an assignment, and you're busy doing it. Are you one to whom God has spoken, giving you a responsibility to delegate? That doesn't mean you don't work. Anyone who's involved in delegation knows that delegation is the hardest work of all. It is the work of motivating many others to do the work with the understanding that many hands can do more than just a few. Some in this ministry have been given the task of delegation. You are leaders and managers, and God has blessed you to get many people involved in serving the Lord. Some of you have been called to consecration. You pray. That's what God has asked you to do. You lead prayer and thanksgiving. You're the Abrahams who uphold and beseech and pray in behalf of the work of God here. And others of you, some of you in the choir, and others of you in music, and others of you in other kinds of ministry have been called of God to be involved in celebration. Look down the chapter. Read it carefully if you dare. And what you will discover is that while all of these people were committed to one thing, there was unity. At the same time, in the midst of the unity, there was great diversity. There was no cookie-cutter Christianity in the book of Nehemiah. There was no rubber stamp. Everybody is alike. Everybody was different. They all were different. They all had different things to do. They were unified, but they were diversified. And that is the ministry of the Church of Jesus Christ today. I brought along my favorite translation of the New Testament. And I have read this book many times, Phillips' translation of the New Testament, J.B. Phillips. Now, I want to read J.B.'s translation of 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at the 12th verse. Listen carefully. As the human body, which has many parts, is a unity, and those parts, despite their multiplicity, constitute one single body, so it is within the body of Christ. We were all baptized by the Spirit into one body, whether we were Jews, Gentiles, slaves, or free men, and we have all had experience of the same Spirit. Now the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, 
Does that alter the fact that the foot is a part of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, does that mean that the ear really is not part of the body? After all, if the body were all one eye, for example, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if it were all one ear, where would be the sense of smell? But God has arranged all the parts in the one body according to his design. For if everything were concentrated in one part, how could there be a body at all? The fact is there are many parts, diversity, but only one body, unity. So that the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body which have no obvious function are the more essential to health. And to those parts of the body which seem to us to be less deserving of notice, we have to allow the highest honor of function. The parts which do not look beautiful have a deeper beauty in the work they do, while the parts which look beautiful may not be at all essential to life. But God has harmonized the whole body by giving importance of function to the parts which lack apparent importance, and the body should work together as a whole with all the members in sympathetic relationship with one another. So it happens that if one member suffers, all the members suffer. And if one member is honored, all the members have a share in the common joy. Now you are together the body of Christ, and individually you are members of him. And in his church, God has appointed first some to be his messengers, secondly, some to be preachers of power, thirdly, some to be teachers. After them, he has appointed workers of spiritual power, men with the gift of healing and helpers and organizers and those with the gift of speaking. As we look at the body of Christ, do we find all are his messengers, all are his preachers, all are his teachers? Do we find all wielders of spiritual power, all able to heal, all able to speak with tongues, or all able to interpret with tongues? No. What we find is God's distribution of gifts is on the same principles of harmony that he has shown in the human body. You should set your hearts on the highest spiritual gifts, but I will show you the highest way of all. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that God's way today? even as it was in the day of Nehemiah. Many people, many different abilities, many different gifts. Some of you may say, because I can't preach, what good am I? <laughs> well, we shall learn someday when God gives us his evaluation of everything that has happened here, that preaching, while it is a wonderful privilege and a great experience, is a very incidental thing to the overall working of the body of Christ. It takes all of us doing everything that God has gifted us to do, working together with our diversities that we might be a unity and that we might function together as a body. Some of you have been asked to help. Maybe you have said no because you feel you're not important. But do you not understand that you are a part of the body? And God's book says there is no unimportant part of the body. And if as a part this expression of the body of Christ, you have your evaluation that you are unimportant to the overall function of the body, then you are not only cheating yourself out of the blessing of oneness with your brothers and sisters, you are causing the body not to function in wholeness, and you are keeping the body from knowing all that God would have it to know in terms of its development, its growth, 
and its edification. So Nehemiah 11 is simply a teaching tool for us to show us that in every project God ever is a part of, it is never a one-man thing. God could, if he wanted to, have spoken from heaven and said, Walls be built! And they would have been up overnight. You say, could he have done that? I remember once when he tore some down like that. God could do it without the help of any of us, but he has chosen in his divine omniscience to allow us the privilege of being a part of what he is doing in the world today, of reaching out to the lost, of building up the kingdom, of constructing facilities that will be dedicated to the honor and glory of Christ, and what a joy and what a privilege it is. Someday, if we have allowed that to slip out of our hands, if we have said no, when God has given us the chance to say yes, we will look back and we will say, why did I ever, ever let the opportunity of serving my God slip away? when it was before me. Somebody gave me a parable that illustrates what we have said. You know I'm big on parables, and this is the parable. The carpenter's tools had a conference. Brother Hammer was in the chair. The meeting had informed him that he must leave because he was too noisy. But he said, if I am to leave this carpenter's shop, Brother Gimlet must go, too. He is so insignificant that he makes very little impression on anyone. Little Brother Gimlet arose and said, All right, but Brother Screw must go also. You have to turn him around and around again to get him to go anywhere. <laughs> Brother Screw then said, If you wish, I will go, but Brother Plain must leave also. All his work is on the surface. There is no depth to it at all. To this, Brother Plain replied, Well, Brother Rule will also have to withdraw if I do, for he is always measuring people as though he were the only one who is right. <laughs> Brother Rule then complained against Brother Sandpaper, and he said, I just don't care. He's rougher than he ought to be, and he's always rubbing people the wrong way. In the midst of these discussions, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in, and he came to perform his day's work. He put on his apron, and he went to the bench to make a pulpit from which to preach the gospel to the poor. He employed the screw, the gimlet, the sandpaper, the saw, the hammer, the plane, and all of the other tools. And after the day's work was over and the pulpit was finished, Brother Saw arose and said, Brethren, I perceive that all of us are laborers together with God, and so we are. We are a family. We are the family of God, and God has called us to serve in unity and in diversity. There were three things that I wrote down in my things to remember from my meditation on these verses. Principle number one is that necessity, not notoriety, is the rule of the body. You are necessary to us. If you are a Christian and you are a part of this fellowship, it isn't whether you are notorious by what you do. The question is, do you understand how necessary you are to what God wants to do here? Necessity, not notoriety, is the rule of the body. Lesson number two, performance, not preeminence, is the basis of reward. God is not interested in how much you are known. 
if you go back through the 11th chapter of the book of Nehemiah, you will read a list of names that many of which never appear again any place in the Bible. You will not know anything about them except their name is written there. Isn't it wonderful of God to write down the list of lesser lights so that we could understand? He doesn't forget even those who may consider themselves insignificant. I have a wonderful promise that I have underlined in my Bible. You may want to look at it with me. It's Hebrews chapter 6, and it's verse 10. It's one worth committing to memory. For it is a reminder to us that God is not going to forget us in all that we do. For it says in Hebrews 6.10, For God, let's read this verse out loud. Do you have your Bibles open? I know you may not have my translation, but read whatever you have. Let's just read it out loud together. Hebrews 6.10. Here we go. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, and you do minister. Some of you may work behind the scenes, and you wonder if anybody knows, anybody cares, anybody ever mentions what you do, and you may feel very unappreciated. But I want to tell you something. We may forget to say thank you, but there's one in heaven who will never forget. The Bible says God will not be unrighteous to forget your labor of love, which you have done and you are doing. So principle number two is performance, not preeminence, is the basis of reward. Just keep doing what God's called you to do. He sees it, and he will reward you. And principle number three, I just want to put this down. It's a privilege to be drafted. It's even more precious to volunteer. Some of those who were of the 10% selected to go and occupy the city, well, that was a privilege. They won the lottery, if you will, were allowed to move back in the city and ultimately became very blessed because of it. But I like the folks in verse 2 who willingly gave themselves and said, I'll do it. We draft a lot of people around here. It's always a privilege to be drafted. If somebody drafts you to do something, that's because they recognize that you have the ability, the potential to fulfill the position. But you know something? It's a privilege to be drafted. It's even more precious to volunteer. God is not just looking for those who will willingly say yes when the pressure is put to them, but God is looking for those who will say, here am I, use me, how can I help? And may God impress us as these days of great activity are upon us as we come to these times of refreshing, that each and every one of us will say, by the grace of God, I will be involved. Whatever it is that God has asked me to do, I will be a volunteer to serve Him, and I will give of myself to the ministry of this body because I am necessary to its function. You know, if you read Romans 12 and uh, 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, you discover that we are all in the body of Christ and every part of the body is important. We are warned by Paul that no part should be considered more important than the other. Some have greater presence. But all that we do, no matter who we are, if it's what God has asked us to do, it's all equally important to him. He's not looking at quantity. He's looking at the quality. He's looking at our love for him and our desire to serve him with all of our hearts. You may be thinking that you don't have a gift, but that isn't possible. The Bible says every believer is given a gift of ministry when they become a Christian. Your goal is to find out what that is. What are you good at? 
What what do you do well, and how can God take what He's gifted you to do and use it, uh, and leverage it for the kingdom? That's your that's your purpose. When you find out what that is, and you begin to do it, I promise you, it's like being saved all over again. It's a whole new experience. There is joy in serving the Lord. And that's why it's not surprising that the next lesson that we talk about is becoming people of praise and worship, becoming grateful, becoming thankful for the opportunity. We're getting back to the Word of God. We're getting serious about obedience. We're getting concerned about sin. We're getting caught up in worship. We're becoming accountable for conduct. We've taken a pledge to give. We're offering ourselves for service. And we're becoming thankful. You know what's interesting? You will never see a list of what it means to be spiritual that doesn't include gratitude. It's the result of the Holy Spirit's filling. It's the result of being filled with the Word of God. And here in the Old Testament, it's one of the building blocks for your renewal. Our message today originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is a blessing in your life, tell us about it by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of O.S. Hawkins' latest book, The Prayer Code, 40 Scripture Prayers Every Believer Should Pray. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several durable and stylish cover options. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue 10 Steps to Spiritual Renewal here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The Watergate scandal resulted not only in the resignation of President Nixon, but in the prosecution of a number of his close advisors. 
it became a benchmark for how seemingly good people can be caught up in doing bad things. Billy Graham made the observation about the scandal saying, everybody has a little bit of Watergate in him. What he meant by that comment is that we all have potential to do wrong because of our sinful nature. It's what the Bible calls sin, and it's why God sent Jesus Christ into the world to pay the price for our sinfulness. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's solution to the problem of sin on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.